this heart of mine I keep my eyes wide open all the time I keep the ends out for the tide that binds Because you Self alone when each day is through. Yes, I'll admit that I'm a fool for you because you're mine. I walk the line. As sure as night is dark, empty is light. I keep you on my mind both day and night. And happiness I've known through. That it's right because you're mine. I walk Jesus, because you gave yourself to us, help us to preach. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Long about the 5th century BC, a fellow named Parmenides said, What is, is. And what is not, is not. So what is cannot be divided and cannot move. What is cannot be divided, for imagine if what is could be divided. What would separate what is? Either a piece of what is or a piece of what is not. If it is what is that separates what is, then what is is not divided, right? And if it is what is not that separates what is, then 
what is not is separating what is, which is to say what is not is. But we've already agreed that what is is and what is not is not. So what is is undivided. It's one. That's called philosophy. It's one and it cannot move. For what if what is could move? Where would what is move to? To what is not. Well, then we'd be saying what is not is the place to which what is moves. Yet what is not cannot be a place that is, for we all agreed what is is and what is not is not. So logically, what is cannot move. <laughs> Freaking you out, I know. A guy named Heraclitus said to Parmenides, Heraclitus, cut it, or Parmenides, cut it out. You're freaking me out. You're freaking me out. Um, giving me the willies. It's obvious that the only thing that doesn't change is the truth that everything changes. Everything divides. Everything moves. This world is full of movement. A guy named Socrates suggested that neither Parmenides nor Heraclitus were entirely insane. He argued that, that there is a realm of undivided uh, unmoving, necessary beingness. There is a realm of unmoving beingness, and yet we live in change in what is not, with a vague idea of what is from the shadows of what is. A shadow is what is not produced by what is. A shadow is what is not light. <laughs> God is light. You might say that what is, is God. And what is not, is this world. And we live in this world. Well, there's something rather attractive about that, that Greek God, the philosopher's God. I mean, if God is what is, undivided and unable to move, he might leave me alone, right? There's something rather attractive about that, but also something rather terrifying, and that is he might leave me alone. I mean, this God has no heart, no compassion, because a heart moves and changes and, and is divided. It, it emotes, a heart does. Herman Melville wrote this, the reason the mass of men dislike God and at the bottom fear him is because they imagine him old brain, like a watch, right? Old brain, all reason, all logic, or as the Greeks would say it, all logos. Well, all of that would have stayed in Greece, except 100 years later or so, a guy named Alexander conquered the known world, including a small nation of wild-eyed fanatics who also uh, worshipped this, this God. They worshipped a God who was one whose name meant I am that I am, or what is Yahweh. Yahweh is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. That means all-powerful. He's omnipresent. That means he's all present. He's everywhere. The Hebrew God was and is what is. And yet he seems awfully passionate about what is not. 
In fact, he created it, so to speak. Remember Genesis 1? Somehow he makes a void. He makes what is not in the midst of what is, like, like a womb in a woman. And then he speaks logos, word, seed, into the womb of what is not, creating what is. See, Yahweh has heart. The Hebrew God is passionate. Well, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Would someone tell that person to be quiet back there? Thanks, Alan. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And the church grew in an ocean of Greek philosophy. The church's greatest theologian was also a Greek philosopher. Thomas Aquinas was his name. And Thomas Aquinas proved that God was necessary beingness, the uncreated creator, the unmoved mover. Which raises a question, and that is, how would you get to know an unmoved mover, right? Well, I suppose the same way you get to know a mountain or the Pythagorean theorem. You'd study it, but you sure wouldn't sing to it like we just did. You'd study it. And Western society, that's how we've gotten to know God. You think your way to God. So faith means I understand the idea. I'm now a Christian. I believe God exists. I declared to Susan recently. I said, honey, I've thought it through. And good news, I believe you exist. I expect her to be like all thrilled. But she wanted more. She wanted something more. I declared to God, I've thought it through. I've analyzed the evidence. And good news, God, I believe you exist. But he seems to want more. More. What could he want? He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. What could he want? He's necessary beingness, uncreated creator, unmoved mover. What does he want? Answer, the unmoved mover wants to go for a walk with you. That's what he wants. Come on, take a little walk with me, child, and tell me who do you love? Who do you love? That's, that's what he wants. Genesis 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When, literally, in the day God created man. We know now that that's the sixth day, right? In the day God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Verse 5. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Verse 8. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11. Thus all the days of Enos were 903 years, and he died. Verse 14. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Verse 17. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895, and he died. Verse 20. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. That's six generations 
Seven is the number of perfection or completion. Enoch is the seventh generation, the seventh day. Verse 23, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. 365 days in a year. Enoch's years are like days and days are like years. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not. In other words, what is not walked with what is and what is not was not, which is what is. That is, what is not somehow became what is, for God took him. I mean, it appears that death had no dominion over Enoch. Why? All it says is Enoch walked with God. <laughs> doesn't say where. doesn't say why. doesn't say that God asked him to carry something, learn something, produce something. Enoch just walked with him and was not, didn't die. Well, Enoch's great-grandson, third generation, like the third day, is a fellow named Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry. What is was sorry. Like he was divided. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Yahweh has a heart, and his heart is moved with sorrow and acquainted with grief. So Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I'm sorry that I made him. But Noah found favor, or grace, in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, whatever that means. I mean, they didn't even have the law then. Blameless in his generation. Next verse, Noah walked with God. There it is again. Enoch walked with God, and God took him. <laughs> Noah walked with God, and God saved him. Noah walked with God. Doesn't say where. Noah walked with God, like, like really with him. I mean, you read the story, God instructs Noah in how to build a boat. God even closes the door after Noah gets in the boat. God remembers Noah, his buddy Noah, in the boat and saves him. Noah offers a sacrifice. God smells it, and he likes it. Noah, Mr. Blameless, then gets drunk, passes out naked, then naked and ashamed like Adam and Eve, he curses his descendants, and the whole sin thing starts all over again. And Parmenides and the Greeks must be wondering, hey, Yahweh, couldn't you see that one coming? Right? Couldn't you? And we wonder too, don't we? We wonder, what's with Yahweh being sorry that he made man? Numbers 23, verse 19, listen to this. God is not a man or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? But here in these verses, he's walking around, changing, 
divided, it would seem. He says, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Kind of, except for Enoch. I'll kill them all. I'll drown them all. Except for Noah. I'll curse them. I'll crucify them. Well, no, I'll curse and crucify me. I mean, he's acting like a spurned lover, isn't he? He's acting like a distraught mother or father. So angry and so compassionate, so offended and yet so hopeful all at once. It's, it's the divided, confused pain of being stood up at the altar. Stood up for a date. Which kind of reminds us Yahweh was stood up for a date. Just three chapters ago, remember, he went walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day and called for Adam, mankind, where are you, Adam? What did God want? Well, it seems he wanted to go for a walk. Doesn't say where. I mean, dang, they're already in paradise. Where are they going to get to? Doesn't say where, doesn't say why, but he wanted to go for a walk with Adam. But Adam hid, they hid, for they were ashamed, they were ashamed. Maybe God isn't divided. Maybe we're divided. And so it seems like God is divided. Maybe God doesn't change, but we change. So it seems like God changes. Hey, it's Mother's Day. Did your mom ever seem like she changed? I mean, did your mom ever seem mean? Did she? Raise your hand if your mom ever seemed mean. Raise your hand. Did it ever seem, look, some of you are checking with your moms because they're here. I saw that, Corrine. <laughs> did it ever seem like your mom didn't love you? Yeah? Well, maybe she was mean. But more than likely, she wasn't mean. You were bad. <laughs> and so her love felt mean. Young man, there's no dessert for you tonight. You see, maybe what you thought was mean was the very best form her unchanging love could take in that changing moment with her changing child. Well, God doesn't change. He is always perfect love. Sometimes it burns us like fire, like judgment, like discipline. Sometimes it fills us with ecstasy like at Pentecost, but, but God doesn't change. We do. And if he's sorry, perhaps it's the best form his unchanging love could take in our changing world in that particular changing moment. And you know what? If he's sorry, he chose to be sorry. You know, anyone that chooses to be a mom chooses to be sorry, right? I mean, you just know it's coming if you decide to be a mom. You know that there will be days that you will be sorry. It's part of the journey. It's part of the walk. It's how you shape those little boogers in your image. Well, God seems to change. 
chooses to be sorry, and he certainly moves. The Trinity is movement. They're, they're all moving. God moves. God, and get this, God moves relative to us. I mean, we move God. You know, nothing can move a mother or a father like their child, right? God moves for us. Now, mom may understand that. But that's tough for Parmenides. I mean, for philosophers, that's a real brain teaser. Perhaps we don't realize the problem, right, C.S. Lewis? He understood Parmenides. The problem of enabling free wills to coexist, walk with omnipotence. It seems to involve at almost every moment a sort of divine abdication. That is, what is somehow chooses to be what is not. I mean, how could Yahweh, the uncreated creator, walk with us? move with us, cry with us? How could he laugh with us? How could he feel the pain of rejection or, or, the, or the sting of a, of a whip, uh, the sensation of nails driven into warm flesh? How could he know our deepest pain? How could he know the pain and the terror of hiding? How could he know sin? pain of sin. How could Yahweh walk with us in the land of what is not? The Apostle Paul wrote this. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing what is not. Taking the form of a servant, a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, Enoch and Noah are the last people said to have walked with God in Scripture. Well, at least until a carpenter named Joseph walks next to his pregnant wife riding a donkey. Until what is somehow becomes what is not. Until logos becomes karnos. Until word becomes flesh. Until God empties himself and walks with us in Jesus. And then, what does Jesus do? He just gets some average guys and takes them for a walk. I mean, you've read the Bible, right? They just walk around a lot. That's his strategy for global domination. They, they just walk around until they walk to Jerusalem, where Jesus is nailed to the tree of law. He, he puts himself in our place. And God the Father turns his own wrath on himself in Jesus. Jesus is the heart of God, broken and nailed to a cross for all to see. You know, a good mother... Or a good father bears his own wrath for his or her children and allows the children to see it. And nothing is more powerful. You know what it's called? Grace. Favor. The children see it because they've walked to that place, the hill of the skull, together. Do you see? God is, he is so much more 
than omni-everything. It's like he even makes himself omni-nothing. He dies on your cross, descends into your hell. Let the atheists themselves choose a god, wrote Chesterton. They will find only one divinity that ever uttered their isolation, only one religion in which God seemed for an instant to be an atheist. God cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In order to walk with you absolutely everywhere, even if anywhere is nowhere. The last thing the resurrected Christ says in the Gospel of Matthew is, behold, I am, I am with you always to the very close of the age. You see, he wants to go for a walk with, with you. When someone like your mom says, for instance, hey, you want to go for a walk in the garden, in creation? Hey, you just want to go for a walk. What do they want, really? What do they want? They want what? They want to talk? Okay, what, what else do they want? Other ideas. Companionship? Okay, other words? When someone just says, hey, let's go for a walk, what do they want? They want affection, what? Connection. Connection. They want you to be with you, yeah? Comfort, yeah? Maybe they want to borrow some money, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think think those are all right answers, and now I have the perfect answer. I have seven answers, and I'm going to put them up here on the screen, okay? And I think think you're, you're agreeing with this. But I was thinking about this. If God wants to go for a walk, what is it that he wants? Because we're always asking that question, right? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? So uh, when a person says, let's go for a walk, number one, it doesn't matter where you're going so much as who you're going with. No matter what I was doing, my dad used to always want to be with me. Kind of drove me crazy. Then I became a dad, and it didn't matter what they were doing. I I just wanted to do it too. Hey, Coleman, you're playing trains. Can I play too? Hey, Becky, you're playing dolls. Can I play too? I'd get small. Now that they're teenagers, I I have to really get small. (laughs) You feel shame? I feel shame too. Don't hide. Please don't hide from me. Hide in me. I want to walk with you. I miss you. I want to be with you wherever you are. I don't care. You know, that's why you get married, right? To take a walk. You don't know where you're going. That's what's so insane about it. You just agree to walk through life together. It's not where you're going, but who you're going with. You can't know where you're going, just that your covenant partner will always go with you. Jesus is your covenant partner. He called himself the parakletos. It means the called alongside one. The one you walk with. And he said that he was sending another parakletos, his very spirit. He didn't say exactly where we'd be walking, just that he'd always be walking with us. We always want to know where, where, where. And he says, but I'm with you. I think last year was the hardest year of my life so far. I've never gone on so many walks in all my life. I just go walking. 
I usually didn't know where I was walking. But I've never been so conscious of who I was walking with. And he kept telling me, it's not where you're going, Peter. It's who you're walking with. We so often say, I don't know the will of God. I just want to know God's will. And we think that means knowing where we're supposed to walk. You know, like Cleveland, Detroit. Should I buy the Dodge or should I buy the Ford? Should I be a missionary or should I be a dentist? We want direction. Where's the road that I'm to walk? Soren Kierkegaard wrote this. I think this is one of my favorite quotes of all time. He wrote, the road is how it is walked. The road is how it is walked. It's who you're walking with. Thomas said to Jesus, we don't know the way. And Jesus said, Thomas, I am the way. We say, we don't know the way. We don't know the path. Listen to Proverbs 3, 6, because it's in the Old Testament too. In all your ways, whatever way, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The one you're walking with is the way. He speaks all things into existence. Trust him and, well, he can move the path under your feet. That's not hard for him. But getting you to trust him, acknowledge him, walk with him, well, that was, that was as hard as a cross. So when you go for a walk, number one, it doesn't matter where you're going as much as who you're going with. And number two, you go for a walk not to get to a place, but to get to a person. You know, God made the garden. He made all creation just so he could go walking with you. What does God want? He wants, he wants you. God walks with you because he's so fond of you. That means he likes you. He's using all creation to get through to you. You go for a walk to get to a person, not, not a place. He's walking with you. But the question is, do you, do you walk with him? Or do you just go to church? Or do you just have devotions? You know, when I was younger, we used to always compete and judge each other by asking, how were your devotions? What did you get out of your quiet time, your Bible study this week? Jesus isn't simply some topic to be studied. He's my covenant partner. He feels every pain. He weeps every tear. He knows every sorrow. He walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. I'm not to have devotions. I am to be devoted. My whole life is to be a walk with him. The name Enoch means devoted. Like John Ortberg said, God is not concerned with your spiritual life. He is not concerned with your spiritual life. He's concerned with your life. And don't get me wrong, it's really good to make regular time for Bible study, meditation, prayer. That's really good. I hope you all do it, just like it's good to make time for dates with your wife. But unless you walk your life with your wife, your dates are just a mockery. And if you were to ask me, Peter, what did you get out of your date last night? I'd probably be a little bit offended. Because my bride is not a thing to be used. She's a person to be known. 
So number two, you go for a walk not to get to a place, but to get to a person. And number three, the things you encounter on your walk are the raw material of relationship, your shared experience. Have, have, have you ever sat down to pray or study or think or get all spiritual and everything? You're just working at it and it just seems so dead. You know what I mean? Have your devotional time and it just seems dead. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, all the time, thousands of times, over and over and over again. And then I give up. I go work out, ride my bike, go for a walk. And I think about him almost by accident. Just, just acknowledge him, you know. And, and I, I can't shut up. I can't shut him up. He just keeps, he just keeps talking in me, ideas and thoughts and images. He, you see, he's no longer then my spiritual companion my spiritual project he's my traveling companion he speaks to me through mountains and trees and fields he he weeps in me as i feel my wounds and realize that there are wounds he calls me to battle as i lift weights listening to led zeppelin he sings to me over the stereo as i drive in my car he sings through you too and johnny cash even george thorogood come on take a little walk with me child and tell me who do you love I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, Peter. I walk the line. And I find myself driving down the road as the unmoved mover sings over me. And all I want is you. Number three, the things you encounter on your walk are the raw materials of building a relationship. In other words, all things work together for the good with them who walk with him. Number four, all things, even snakes, especially snakes. Eve. And this is hard. This is really hard. But what I mean is it's the setbacks and the trials that God uses to show you his favor. It's there that you see Jesus Christ and him crucified for you, individually, for you. It's there that God demonstrates his love as grace, and that is favor. It's there that you see that you are indeed his favorite. Every mother has a favorite, writes Irma Bombeck. I have mine, the child for whom I feel a special closeness, with whom I share a love that no one else could possibly understand. My favorite child is the one who was too sick to eat ice cream at his birthday party. My favorite child is the one who messed up the piano recital, misspelled committee in a spelling bee, ran the wrong way with the football, and had his bike stolen because he was careless. My favorite child is the one I punished for lying, grounded for insensitivity to other people's feelings, and informed he was a royal pain to the entire family. My favorite child slammed doors in frustrations, cried when she didn't think I saw her, withdrew and said she could not talk to me. My favorite child was selfish, immature, bad-tempered, and self-centered. He was vulnerable, lonely, unsure of what he was doing in this world, and, 
and quite wonderful. All mothers have their favorite child. It always is the same one, the one who needs you at the moment, who needs you for whatever reason to cling to, to shout at, to hurt, to hug, to flatter, to reverse charges to, to unload on, but mostly just to be there. Even when you're snake bit, even when, especially when you're plagued with sin and guilt and shame, so much that you just cry out in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, he's there. Fixing to show you his favor. You're his favorite. So number two, no two walks are just the same. We each walk with the same Jesus, yet we each walk a different path. I I mean, we're each his favorites. Each his favorite. For God has a unique relationship with each one of us. He's with you where you walk. And where you walk is his gift to you. As soon as you acknowledge him, call to him, then even the worst nowhere becomes the best somewhere, the best possible form that his love could take. You know, the unmoved mover was moved all the way to a cross in order to walk with you. And the worst place became the best place. Good, good Friday became Easter. So acknowledge him wherever you are and let your good Fridays become Easter. Number five. Who you walk with changes the way you walk. So acknowledge him in all your ways. When you're bored, when you're thrilled, when you're terrified, when you're ashamed, when you're guilty, acknowledge him. Uh, When your children rebel, when your wife's unfaithful, acknowledge him. When the last and the least ask you for change, acknowledge him. When the bartender says, would you like another? Acknowledge Jesus. As often as you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. It will change the way you walk. It will even change the way you drink. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make straight your path. He he moves mounds, he raises valleys, he upholds all things by his word and his word is Jesus and Jesus is with you and Jesus is the path. So set your watch to beep every five minutes. You know, if you got one of those electric watches or whatever, set it to beep every five minutes as a practical application point and when it beeps, just acknowledge Jesus. Just say, hey Jesus, Hey, dude, glad you love me, Jesus. Just acknowledge him. Better yet, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray constantly. A friend of mine tells about visiting a jam-packed church in the slums of Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. This community was slated for demolition in order to make room for an upscale marina. The priests had worked tirelessly for the rights of the poor squatters living in the shacks along the coast, and now he gave a report concluding that his talks had failed. One young man, he stood up in the church and he cried out, what will we do? What will we do when they come to bulldoze our homes? Another man stood up and he cried out, we'll fight them, we will fight them to the death. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? People in the congregation began standing up and they began to chant and yell, yes, yes, we are with you, we are with you, we are with you. Then all at once the priest raised his arms and he yelled over the crowd, silence. 
And then he walked to the altar. He picked up the bread. He picked up the wine. He held them up in the air. And he said, when they come to bulldoze our homes, and when we go out to fight them, he will be with us too. And you see, that changes the way you suffer, doesn't it? It changes the way you fight, doesn't it? It changes the way you walk. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. So people, tomorrow when you go to work, he will be with you. Tonight when you discipline your children, he will be with you. When you purchase the car, when you call the lawyer, when you finally give her a call, he will be with you too. And acknowledging the one who is with you changes the way you walk. Coming to this table, you see, is so much more than just getting your ticket punched. It's so much more than having devotions. It's being devoted to him as he's devoted to you. Two becoming one flesh. What is fills what is not. We don't only walk with him. You see, we become his body walking in the land of what is not. Scribes and Pharisees walk to get to a place called heaven. Christians walk to get to a person, to commune with a person and become his garden, his heaven. Paradise is a walk with Jesus in his garden. And his garden is you. Number seven, the one you're walking with is your destination. So God is your destination, and you are God's destination. You think you're walking home to him, and yet all this time, he's been walking home to you. (laughs) Right? You're his body. You're his bride. You're his garden, you're his house, you're his temple, you're his sanctuary. And so what is became like what is not, that what is not might be filled with what is, filled with all the fullness of God made in the image and likeness of God. There's a story, an old story, about an old man He didn't know theology, didn't know philosophy. He couldn't read Aquinas, Socrates, Parmenides, or Heraclitus. But every day he would take a long walk with the Lord. And on these walks, he and the Lord would just talk about all kinds of things, all the events in the man's life, when he met his wife, the birth of his children. And God would speak his word into every event, every moment, One day, while they were out walking for an especially long time, the Lord looked at the old man and he said, you know, we're closer now to my house than we are to yours. Suddenly the man looked and everything and everywhere was home. Home is where God's heart is. 
and the old man was God's home. On the night, the Lord was delivered up. Jesus, from the bosom of the Father, the heart of God, the heart of what is, the Word of God, the Logos incarnus. He took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. And so we invite you to come to the table and confess what is not. Your darkness, your lies, your emptiness, your sin, and ingest what is the love of God. The dark cups are wine, the lighter cups are juice, and they're both what is. So come to the table and worship him. Ingest what is into what is not, and then go walking. Amen? Now stop. Close your eyes. And I want you to imagine something that's true. When you imagine something that's true, it's called faith. I want you to imagine a voice calling your name. Because he is. It's the voice of the unmoved mover. He calls your name. Do you hear it? And then he says, Where are you? Are you hiding? Are you ashamed? Do you see that I cover you with my righteousness? I wash you with my blood? Are you afraid? Do you see that I went to the cross and I conquered death and I make all things new? Where are you? Because I want to go for a walk. <laughs> this week. With you. Lord God, we think that you want all these things from us and you want us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this week, I don't know what's on your schedule. God does. But walk with him. Just acknowledge him wherever you go. He's with you. And I'll change the change the way you walk, change everything. Um, before you go,
just wanted to say we do have kind of a deal out here for uh, mothers. So hang around, find mothers, hug them, feed them grapes and cheese and chocolates. And uh, if you'd like uh, prayer, we have a, a ministry team. They'll be in the room kind of on this side in the back, the chapel. They'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to stay here and just worship for a while, uh, the worship band uh, will keep playing. Whatever you do, be sure to be here next week because next week, Paula and Karen are sharing their story and I'm just, I'm so excited about that. So I'd encourage you to bring some other people along with you. That's next week. Um, and then also, I hope you're showing up here in the next few weeks and I hope you're praying for us as a board because we are looking at a possibility of a place where we could worship on Sunday morning, possibly also Sunday night, looking at asking the question, God, why have you called us down here? I, I know he's called us down. I really believe he's called us down here to walk in downtown Denver. What does that look like? And I think we're beginning to, to figure that out. But I, pr I ask that you would pray for us on Friday night because we're meeting us aboard, asking some of those questions, looking at decisions uh, coming up. And uh, it's crazy uh, trying to lead a bunch of people and getting them all to agree, okay? Oh, yeah, remember this is a great verse. Love covers a multitude of sins. Tattoo that on your head or something. But anyway, that won't, um, that won't be the mark of the beast. But that's a bad way to end. So walk with Jesus this week in his name. Amen.